this is it. We're live. Hello. Hey. <laughs> hey. All right. First of all, uh, Evan Valentine here, uh, former comedian from Washington, D.C., current writer for comicbook.com. Yes? Yeah. Uh, comicbook.com, a subsidiary of uh, CBS Interactive, which is a subsidiary of Paramount Pictures. Uh, and I think that's as high up as it goes. You sound like uh, much... Jack Donaghy on 30 Rock right now. Like you got to list <laughs> off all the different, all the different it's... companies you work for. That's that's the age, man. Every every media conglomerate is eating up every other media conglomerate, and uh, I'm just here for the ride. Yeah, they're all owned by like a toaster company. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. So this is not only yeah. my first remote podcast for this podcast. This is my first remote podcast, I think, like ever. Uh, oh, I'm honored, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So you're, you're, I do you're, feel honored about it. You're doing the tests on the on the technology right now. Um, <laughs> we're doing a remote podcast because Evan is currently based in Atlanta. Uh, how yep. you said you've been there for ten years? How's Atlanta? How's that going, man? Um, so uh, it's a funny story. Uh, I moved out of DC because uh, my wife Lauren, um, she got her master's at uh, Emory, and we were we had always been kind of thinking about moving out of DC. And when we had this opportunity, we moved down here. I had a going away show at the Black Cat, which was an album recording back when I was still doing stand up uh, a lot. And I came down here and I still did stand up for a little bit. Um, and we, uh, my wife and I, we've fallen in love with the city. Um, Atlanta is really um, culturally great. The stand up scene is amazing. It's, it's really kind of an underground. Um, you know, there's like the Laughing Skull. There used to be the Hangar, which was like an airport hangar where a bunch of people did shows. Um, and it's a really good community. Uh, I think that when my day job kind of started getting kicking off, that was where I kind of took the opportunity to kind of move away from comedy and more into just like writing and creative writing. But, you know, as, as you know, I think there's always going to be a part of you that's like, you're you're always going to be a comedian somehow. Yeah, your and brain is kind of wired like just to think that way. I think I think when and and you can confirm this in terms of how you think. Like whenever I see like a comedy show, I'm always like, damn, maybe I should like get. I mean, you're still in the thick of it, but like even like if I see like a comedy show and I see like really good jokes and everything, I um I'll be like, damn, maybe like. I could work on some new minutes of material, but like, then again, like I'm old <laughs> and, and like, and like I'm doing okay. And like doing the, you know, the mics and the shows in general, like they're still fun. And I think, I think that one of the biggest takeaways that I had from, and we'll get into like, you know, how stand up kind of got me into what I do now, but, um, one of the things that I really took away from it the most that I did was like being able to write better just because based on writing jokes and everything, but also just being able to meet the most talented, like really, and Pete's one of them. Like, let's be oh, real. Thanks. Your, your sets, your sets are amazing, man. Um, I think that like being able to meet the most talented, creative people, uh, being a stand-up comic and waiting in those green rooms and waiting backstage for when you're about to go on set is like some of the best conversations really spoiled me on having conversations with, I think that we call them mudbloods 
You know, like oh, normal the, people. I've heard <laughs> civilians <laughs> too. Like, like comedy is uh, some kind of like war. Everyone signs yeah. up for it's. Like, yeah, they, they haven't been in the trenches of the the Boston comedy spot. They don't. They don't yeah. know what it's like. <laughs> oh, what a call! What a callback, man. Yeah, comedy, sports, and all that. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> DC improv. Um, uh, Wise Acres. Yeah, man. Wise uh, Acres was where I did my first open mic on December seventeenth, two thousand eight. And oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I got zero laughs, but I, I made I like worked up the courage to go back and do it again a week later, which I guess would be the like I couldn't have been on Christmas Eve. Maybe it was like the first week in January or something. And I went back and I went to the mic and it was closed down. Like the last the, <laughs> I think the the, la- the first open mic I did was the last show at Wise Acres. Oh man, that's 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 awesome. But uh uh I think that DC was, and I have no idea. Like, it's always funny. Like, um, obviously, I I go to DC pretty routinely. Still have family there and friends and all that stuff. Um, I don't know how the comedy scene has kind of changed at all. Um, it's huge. It's like it's really blown up. Like, cause I mm-hmm. so for anyone listening at home, just to give some background on what Wise Acres is, it was a comedy club <laughs> in a Best Western in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And that was like, all right, you got to get in at Wise Acres. You really got to get the stage time. You got to work gotta out there. You got to talk to Mike Diesel. Oh, my He's God. He's got to be good yeah. in with Mike Diesel. Oh, man. <laughs> so it was like one of those places. And now DC, there there were only a handful of places that you could really do comedy. It was like the Arlington Draft House, um, the DC Improv, which was like so tough to get into back then. Um, and yep. then like, yeah, the, the there was an improv place at a mall in, in Boston, Virginia, in Arlington. And then the uh, Chris Berelick's micro show, the, the 11th Street Lounge in Clarendon, that was like that's, the other. That's one of the first ones I did. Yeah. That, I think that was aside from, because um, I got started my senior year of college when I got signed up for, uh, if you'll humor me to allow me to talk about this ridiculous story. No, please. Yeah, throw it back. That was one of my first uh, questions. Like, yeah, getting stuck. Yep. Because when, when you meet people in comedy, you just they've always kind of been around. Like you were one of those guys where it's like Evan is just a guy in DC, but I don't really know your origin story for lack of yeah. a better term. Um, so my my origin story is that uh, in my in my senior year of college, um, some of my friends thought I was funny enough that they signed me up for a last comic standing competition uh, at college at my college in Maryland. What was the um, school? Uh, it was Loyola oh, okay. in yeah, uh, nice. Baltimore, so it was close to like the Inner Harbor, all that stuff. Um, and so I ended up winning that competition, and I was like, "Oh wow, like that's that's really cool. Maybe I can like do this. This can keep being a thing." And I don't know if you can still find these online. This is this is <laughs> this is the funny thing where it's like, why did I keep doing stand up? So after I did my show, um, someone wrote an op-ed piece about one of the jokes that I did for our school newspaper. You got, you got canceled in print. Is that what happened? I got canceled in print before (laughs) cancellation was even a thing. And I like, I didn't even, I never did these bits again. Um, but she wrote, I'll never forget. Cause I printed out copies of them and I don't, I didn't hang them up, but I still have them in a room. Uh, and it's called last comic standing, no laughing matter. And it's specifically, specifically targeted at me and i was just like oh i'm never doing this again 
this was the biggest mistake of my life. I really hurt people by saying these jokes oh initially. Do you remember the bits? Uh, like, were they like, would you call Yeah, them but I don't want to say them. Yeah, totally fair. <laughs> but also, like, when you're... I mean, and they're not even, like, they're honestly, like, they're not even really that bad. They're not yeah. racist. They're not, like, they're not, they're not misogynist. They're really just, I mean, they were jokes about cancer. And the idea of, like, the idea of, um, the idea of... Uh, F it, I'll just say what some of them are. But it's the idea of, like, I was new. I was, uh, this was my first time ever doing stand-up comedy. And I thought that it was a welcoming environment to effectively have, like, my friends and family were there to kind of, like, it, it lets you stretch your legs a little bit, as it were. Um, but I thought that as you get higher up on the food chain, like, your venues, the environments that you perform at should get ha harder like in terms of the crowds. So when you hit like Jerry Seinfeld level, you should do cancer wards. And so I just reenacted a, um, I reenacted a scene where Jerry Seinfeld was doing his act in a cancer ward and people were heckling him with the voice boxes. Right. <laughs> um, and it's, a uh, good bit. it's, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, but this is this, I'll never forget this to this day. And it still tears up my soul. So after I finished, like, and they were like, oh, Evan Valentine's the winner. I'm like, yeah. Because, like, at that point, man, in when I was in college, like, nobody knew my first name. Uh, I was just known as Shaggy. I looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Oh, because you had longer uh, hair before, right? Because I had way longer hair, like, yeah. down to my uh, shoulders and everything. And this girl taps me on the shoulder, uh, and I turn around, and I look at her. And I'm like, oh, man, like, uh, maybe I'll have, like, fans and she goes, uh, congratulations on winning. When you did that joke about um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and the cancer wards, I imagine my father dying on the couch. But congratulations on your win, you effing a-hole. And then she walked away and she wrote the article a week later that was that. And I felt so yeah, bad. Yeah, I get that. I mean, like, <laughs> I felt in in the abstract, it's not like a bad joke. I understand how she could have. What year was this, by yeah. the way? Oh man, it was um, oh six. Yeah, so it was. I mean, it was yeah, way before. As, I mean, as, the internet existed, but it wasn't the internet. As like far as the, jokes that like a college kid could have told at his first show ever in two thousand six, like I, I think yeah. that's. That's pretty dude, deep. dude. Oh man, there was uh like the other kids on that show. Like there was a kid I'll never who went up before me, and went, you know what women want, eh? And he pulls out his wallet, and that's the bit. Yeah. And there was no other. There was no other bit to it. No punchline. That was it. And then he just left. Did he get and any it was kind like, of reaction out of it? Uh, just mostly disdain. Yeah, I just <laughs> stuff like that always makes me laugh because I imagined him like running through it in his head where he's like, he's "This just, is gonna be killer, and man!" Just in his head, it's like, <sighs> and then when that reality, we've never heard crushing. of that. Women wanting money from the, like, and it's just like, man, he's gonna bust out women be shopping next. <laughs> yeah, that was way before that even started. That. He originated it. Whoever that guy, God bless whoever that guy was. On the way, uh, yeah, you like from the ground up. He he brought that to uh, to fruition. Um, so wait, so you go from that space of like fuck this, I'm never doing comedy ever yep. again, and like what what brought you back around? Because I think when I started in '09, you were like pretty entrenched in in doing comedy. Yeah, I was. Days. I was pretty. I had been doing it um, for a bit. Uh, I think that the you had mentioned the place in Clarendon, and that was one of the first ones I did. 
Um, and I did it and they recorded it. Uh, that was back when everybody was recording it, putting it on CDs. You pay them, you get the CD, all that fun stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And so like I had done that and I was like, this is, this is okay. There's like some nice, nice folks that I'm meeting. And, um, after, after two or three shows, and this is kind of like relying again on, we'll be drifting in and out of comedy and nerd shit. Cause like nerd shit's my bread and butter too, but, uh, quite literally it's, you work quite, comedy. quite literally at this point only took me a really effing long time to do that. But, uh, uh, like I got enrolled, uh, into the geek comedy tour originally and you Pete, like you might have been a member i can't even like everybody in the dc scene i it think might i have had happened. too much of a lacrosse face to like officially be <laughs> in the, the, the geek comedy tour but it was it was you like chris barrow like jake young jimmy yeah Merritt. but the yeah it was jimmy Merritt, um uh joe dealy and when it oh, first joe star- dealy i forgot about and, joe and when it first started it was there were so rory scoville was an opening member really? of the tour. Yeah. Um uh Danny Rie mm-hmm. was on it. Um and it just a it was like literally twenty people. And honestly, like it was a good it was a good gig in terms of it gave you us us being part of that, like comedians who were only doing it for like a year. Like we at that point, I had only done three or four shows and I was getting like we were doing college shows immediately wow like like, like getting paid a... college money too no, fuck no <laughs> <laughs> would have been great not a chance oh uh, no the no one of the first shows we did was um this it was called um shit what was it it was a hacker convention uh i think it was called hope eight or something but it was in new york city um and i'd only done comedy uh four times at that point like in it you count like the college like two or three stand-up shows and then that and we went up to this hacker convention where people were literally like there was a we went in it was in new york city it was in a giant convention hall and there were tables scores of tables that just had like blackberries on them and all of these people were just like fiddling with the blackberries uh in order to crack them and do like illegal crap oh wow on them um and so we were brought on as the comedy show for that. And those shows, um, they're very, co- like, I'm trying to think of the right word. They're very comedy affirming. Because at a lot of those shows, people have never been to comedy shows in general. And it doesn't take a lot to make them laugh. Which is like a double-edged sword, right? Because it, you're, you get laughs at really easy stuff. But you're not honing. It's not like you know sharpening your skills at all, right? Yeah. So, so like, but like it's, there, it's it's I, it must be like confidence building though, at least because I I think it's so funny like the journey that you went on where it's like you won a college competition, you do like three shows in D.C., then you're like on this tour, you're like, oh, comedy's fucking easy, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, this is that so. I, that I said, <laughs> I, and like I I of course learned that comedy is not easy, no, and like you you. You eat shit a couple of times and it wakes you up really fucking quick. Big time. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was doing that. Um, and I honestly like, I give so much respect. I give respect like to you, Pete, and I give respect to everybody who just has spent so much time honing your craft and working and putting in the work. 
because honestly, like, yeah, I did stand up, but I didn't do stand up to the degree that folks like you, that folks like Hampton or um, that folks like, you know, just the people who move specifically for like comedy and are doing like multi shows a night to like hit that next, you know, level. Thanks. Yeah, everything. it's like it, comedy is like the motivating, for, the prime motivating force in your life. Yeah, and I, I yeah that that has been the case for me certainly specifically over the last like eleven, twelve years. Like it's what motivated mm-hmm. my move to New York. It's driven my decisions around like relationships and and mm-hmm. uh, jobs and and travel plans and things like that. And I think yeah. that's like kind of part of the reason I'm like taking this year to like really assess like is this something I want to keep doing and how much can I keep because. You can only let something motivate you or drive you for so long. Yeah. If you're yeah. not getting that kind of love back in return, like that can really, um, you know, you really got to take a minute and think about like, sh- can I keep going in this direction? Yeah. And I would say like, uh, and, and especially like when I heard about your decision to, you know, think about like another year um, and, and just kind of like, because my, my and this will lead into the story of how i decided to quote unquote quit comedy which was a definitive moment in my life but like um but i would say like for you with um like this the comedy that you've been doing the decision that you make is i would i would endorse you if i would endorse you not to quit like honestly like i would say like pull back if you need to i think that like it it it, like you said it can be an all-encompassing thing like me in my 20s like it was an all-encompassing thing for me in the fact that i worked so much harder but i was also like i mean i i think you'd agree that most comics have we we all struggle with kind of our own inner demons and like we kind of like we put that out there for people to like, we make bits about it. We make jokes about it. And I think that in my twenties, that was something that I really did a lot. It helped me like mentally and getting all that out and thinking about it. But like, I would say like, you never know what it is. And this is going to lead into another part of our discussion when we can kind of define what making it means. Right. You know, Um, because like making it in comedy now, it, even like when me and you started, it's weird, man. There's just no, there's no A to B to C. It's like A to X to F to H. And it, the, I mean, you and I both know like the number of people that we know that like, yo, they should be doing stadiums. Mm-hmm. Like it's BS that they're not. And it's just like, it's, it's, that's just the universe, man. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen and sometimes someone is seen by the right person at the right time and it just like goes from there yeah you know? I, I was talking about this with lafayette too just about how like mm-hmm. we also started at a very weird time where like the internet was slowly becoming ascendant like social media was just kind of lurking right there but like i think the the people that we learned from and kind of the common wisdom at the time was like that classic wisdom from the 90s of like Go out, hang out at the comedy club, show face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a very social relationship, in-person kind of game. Um, like there's there's like – like yeah, there's no A to B to C, but there's like kind of a, um advised path or an advised yeah. way of doing things. And I have certainly been hesitant to um, engage with the internet just because I didn't – it didn't like 
fulfill me in a way. So it's all right, if it's not fulfilling me, then there's no point in doing it. I didn't really want to look at it from like a pragmatic career building sort of perspective because I was just kind of inculcated with that idea of like, if you just keep working on your stuff and not worry about the end result or, or anything like that, mm-hmm. something will happen. But in the end, like you really just have to try and make it happen one way or another. Like you have to be yeah. results oriented to a certain extent, I think. Yeah. And it, it, uh, that makes perfect sense. I think that, um, and this, this kind of goes into, I guess this is a good leeway into like what I do now. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms yeah. So of, like, you had to from DC Let's, to Atlanta and what you're doing now and like how I did, how I got into like writing and stuff, because like, honestly, like I'm still, I've been doing this for four plus years where I've been writing for like Paramount and comic book and all that stuff. And I'm still blown away that I get to do this. That's like, great. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I get, a, that's a real gift, to, a real gift. It's, it's, it's really cool. But like the way when people ask me and I used to, when people ask me like, how did you make it? Or, or make it like I don't even like consider who do books I really that consider... like who who books the universe yeah <laughs> who how does that hey man like what numbers do I call do I have to call a number we have we have this place in Atlanta called Star Bar mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever yeah, heard of it. you oh, have yeah, to yeah. call specifically at like Thursday at five o'clock and everybody would just but um uh so the way that like the way that it happened with me with working for comic book was so um so unorthodox and weird that it's like hard for me to say like oh you need to do this and this like i would watch i would like absorb information when it came to what other people did not just for like writing but also for comedy too and the nine times out of ten people would just be like just keep doing it and i always like when i was when i when i heard that i was always like that's fucking bullshit man like you, <laughs> you know you like, don't have an answer just admit you don't know like just just admit you don't have an answer yeah. like it's it's and it's and i mean me and my my uh somber melancholy 20s was just kind of like this bullshit man like they they have an in or something and it's really just like for me with paramount uh and comic book uh originally when the mcu first started taking off right like marvel cinematic universe captain america thor iron man all that stuff guardians of the galaxy was about to come out right and uh my wife uh we had just moved to atlanta she knew somebody who was a writer for an outlet that was called collider um and i met him at lunch uh just to say hello and he was like we need an internship we need an intern uh who knows about guardians of the galaxy and i'm like i know comic books and shit man like i know about guardians of the galaxy and it's like cool well if you want to like write a little bit for us and i'm like but i have like a day job uh because i did a i come from the corporate bloodthirsty slit throats day job of uh uh law firms and government contractors and all that fun crap is that what you were um, doing in in dc you were like working yeah Yeah, so, like, I still, I had a day job on top of everything, and that's another thing that's, like, um, the thing I was never willing to sacrifice was, like, I really wanted the security of, like, a day job and health benefits and all that stuff, and, and, yeah, yeah, and so you do that, and there are a lot of people who are just, like, I'm just gonna, just comedy, like, I'm gonna figure out, I'll, I'll crash on people's couches, and, like, more power to people who do that i couldn't i couldn't and then they get hit by a car and they have to go to like gofundme to to pay yeah yeah it's effed up couldn't be me it couldn't be me i'm sorry (laughs) i I don't have the courage (laughs) it could be i mean talk with 
talk with Hampton Yunt about um, when he was like nearly homeless living in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Another guy who should be doing stadiums, by the way. But Dude, um, can I just interrupt real quick? One of my yeah. favorite comedy memories of DC is Hampton recording his album at the comedy spot in Boston. Yes, you can hear me. Yeah, I was going to mention no, you, that. You, you can hear me on the You are album. visually in my mind as like laughing very uproariously at that album. He, Dude, uh, yeah, for anyone listening at home, Hampton Yunt, just one of the funniest guys, period. Like no yeah. one has made me laugh harder. Uh, please look him up. He's got three albums out there. Follow him. A, uh, uh, H, no, sorry, H-A-M-P-T-O-N-Y-O-U-N-T. There yeah. we go. Uh, yeah, and I mean, and Hampton, to a degree, you know, has also, quote unquote, made it mm-hmm. where he does it for a living, kind of. like. But it's unstable. He ha- it's like it's, it's, it ebbs and flows. Yeah, yeah, it ebbs and flows. And he did like podcasts and he did writers' rooms for like ridiculousness and um I can't remember the name of that adult swim show, but it was by Tyler the Creator. But like and it's just it like ebbs and flows. And um what was I saying? Oh, how it all happened. How, yeah, how my whole back. thing happened. Oh no, sorry. Working a day I went job off on a in Atlanta, they wanted you to write about <laughs> day job. Of the galaxy. They wanted me to they wanted me to write these things. And um so I was writing there for a couple of months where I would get like a rate for the articles that I wrote, right? Like, you know, you write an article and we give you like 30 bucks for 400, 500 words. And so like, I would write a couple of those a week um, at, at the height of like the most busy I ever was in my entire life. My day would be, I would wake up, I would go to work, which was usually like twelve hours because Whoa. law firms. Um, were you a lawyer? Just... or Were you like a, a paralegal? No, or... I was. I was a business development manager. Okay. So, like, I would effectively try to sell the skills of attorneys to um, uh, other to companies and such like that, okay. and like try to make deals happen. You know, um, and so I would finish that. Then I would leave. I would write an article. I would go do one or two shows in Atlanta, just bounce to doing stand up and then come back, write another article and then um have to watch the movies and TV shows that I needed to watch in order to write articles for the next day wow. or something. And so it was just like a, it was just this whole process and it was that's a ton of, it was a ton of work and it was too much honestly. But um That's like three or four distinct jobs. Yeah, yeah. And it's three and it's it was bonkers, man. I shouldn't have been doing it. But like, I was just like, um, I need to see what I can go with with all this. And so I kept doing how it kind of worked is that I was like, so I was interning with um, Collider. And they sent me to New York Comic Con. And I might not be the best at like networking. But boy, oh boy, can I fucking talk about Spider Man, (laughs) like nobody's business. Uh, And so when I was at uh, New York Comic Con, um, I wrote, I wrote an article about like, uh, the X-Files premiere because the X-Files was being brought oh, back. Oh yeah. I remember that reboot and it was like Q&A yeah, yeah, X-Files. Like... It was so bizarre. <laughs> they just, they just kept bringing it back, man. Yeah. They brought it back and I saw a premiere and I wrote something on it for the site and, um, Us Weekly. Is it Us or US Weekly? I think it's, I always it's get Us it... Weekly. Yeah. It's Us Weekly. Yeah. So Us Weekly saw that I wrote something and was like, um, hey do you want to come write more stuff for us we like like what you did here and i'm like oh they don't have me on a non-compete clause or anything so yeah fuck it uh and so i wrote a little for them um and while i was at new york comic-con um i met my current boss who was like who's kind of like hey why don't you ever write stuff for us here at comicbook.com and i was like oh i don't know i don't really 
I don't really know much about the year site or anything. Um, and so, uh, I got to a point where, um, there were, there were like a number of layoffs, just it, law firms are cutthroat, man. And yeah. it's just like, I mean, it's, it's a tough environment and I had been working at them for like 10 years at that point. Like I worked at them in DC and then I came down and worked at them again and I was just like, no wonder I keep getting jobs at law firms. Nobody wants to work at them, but it's like they keep they keep like paying. I'm you the pretty... only one stupid enough to keep going. I'm the it's only me, man. Uh, yeah, and so I kept like go. I kept like working at them, but I really just didn't. I really just didn't dig them. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't a really good, conducive, soul life affirming job or anything. Um, and so there was like a round of layoffs, and. I had been offered, um, when the layoffs happened, I had been offered another job at another firm um, that was like, it was it was exact, it was basically exactly the same thing. Again, you can just like slip in and out like a new pair of shoes mm -hmm. for these things. Um, but the people at Comic Book were like, hey man, like, do you want to, like, we need a writer uh, who specializes in like, who, know, who the hell knows more comic books than you, Evan? And, and I was just like, yeah, you're probably right. And um like God bless my wife for um being totally totally cool about it in terms of like yeah, I could have stuck with um being, you know, in a law firm, but like I would have I would have had no soul. Mm -hmm. And like you look into my eyes and I'm like Mike Myers from Halloween. The blackest just eyes, like, oh, the, the blackest devil's eyes. eyes, the devil's eyes. Um and uh she was just like she was just like, honey, like, you, you're not going to get the chance to, like, do – especially because the a big reason why I took it was that um, we had – about a year before I started, we had been acquired by CBS Interactive, which was then, like, acquired by Viacom, which was then acquired by Paramount. But that also meant things like healthcare benefits. It meant, like, you know, steady, steady employment. It's a nine-to-five. Um and all that stuff. And so I was like, my entire life, I felt like I was playing it safe. Mm -hmm. Like for for even like not diving into comedy and not not in the way that a lot of people that I really admired were doing it. And so like, um, I, I was like, the, if I'm going to try it, I have to try it now. And like four years later, I think that um, I, I absolutely love what I do. I never in a million years thought I would love what I do for my job. I thought I would be forever just like, well, I got to sacrifice like eight or nine, 10 hours a day to this. And then I come home and I go to sleep and I like, you know, but now I get to like do really cool shit, like talk about Dragon Ball and like uh, interview celebrities and just like uh, gush over whatever the hell they're working on and all this other stuff and just be able to, talk about marvel and dc and it's really it's just really cool but like i t i took a big this was like a big risk in terms of like career and stuff like that and um i think that there's always going to be a part of me i think that like when in my writing <clears throat> excuse me uh in my writing i think that there's always going to be a part of me that's like a stand-up comic and the fact that being a stand-up comic really helped in terms of being able to craft how i write being able to craft like you know um 
uh, you're hitting certain points where you, you it's not necessarily comedy, but you still have that timing. It, right? it's, a, it's a thesis, really. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah, here's, it's ex- the, here's the statement, and then the punt, like, that's the premise, and then, like, the punchlines are, like, the supporting arguments, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, uh, there's always gonna there's always gonna be a part of me, and I think that if you ultimately decide to quote unquote quit comedy, I don't think anybody ever really quits comedy. No, I think I, it's. <laughs> I think for me, like, and this is kind of where I'm at with it right now, and like that's, like, I've thought about like, oh, do it, like, what if I just pull back? But like for me personally, and this is so pretentious, it might be the most pretentious <laughs> thing I've ever said in my life. But I, no, I, I gotta own it. To me, go. comedy, it for me, it's not a hobby; it is a lifestyle. So like, if you, yeah, if you're gonna, sure. you know, if you're gonna do it, you gotta go all the way with it. You gotta spend a lot of time with it. That, that's how you get really good. That's you know, I couldn't just yeah. have like one foot in, one foot out. And like, yeah. what's really stressed me out over the last 10, 11 plus years has been kind of what you were talking about with your initial day job, where it's like you're kind of just sacrificing your time. Like, like you want like a sense of agency about your day and like a sense of control, mm. or at least like you're, you're be able to direct your life some kind of way. And what's kind of stressed yeah. me out is like, you know, from eight thirty AM to five thirty six o'clock during the day, I feel like my time is not mine or it's, you know, yeah, that, exactly. that's not, you know, a problem particular to me. Everyone kind of feels that way, but I felt like I had a way to try and break out of that. And like that kind of falling short of that goal and and, like always feeling like I'm one step removed from like where I want to be and what I want to do. That has, that's like really, really weighed down on me and like taking a lot of the joy out of it. So for me, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's like kind of all or nothing. And like, this is also something I was talking about with Eric Newman on a previous episode, just the the weight of expectations. And like, I had the same expectation he has for his career where it's like, I want this to be like the total, like my, my job and my living and my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if if it can't be that, and I get to a point where I, I don't have it in me to keep trying to make it that I got to like, take a step back. Now, Having said all that, do you that, think you'll still do you think you'll still do shows though? No, like on a, I'll still com- write. I I, I definitely mm-hmm. believe I'll still write and do some kind of creative endeavors. Like for a little bit, I'm also like looking for a job right now. I haven't had a job since April. I I you know long. Oh, sto- I'm sorry. Man. No, no, it's actually like kind of it's been good because like this has been very, oh good. <laughs> t- this has been very time consuming, and so it's kind of nice to kind of have this this period of time to like reset and reframe and figure sure. out how I'm going to set myself up. Um. I've thought about, I've like talked to a couple places, like, like in, applied for like copywriting jobs or whatever. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a part of me that's like, I kind of want to, at this point, like maybe at least for this period of time, decouple my expectation or like the creativity from the expectation of making a living. So like if I yeah. just got like a regular sales job and then I'm like for an hour in the morning, I wrote whatever, whether that's like prose, essays, scripts, and I don't, I don't even have to like send it out or show it to anybody it's like kind of just for me i think that might be like a fun way to kind of like ease the sting of like putting comedy behind me should it come to that yeah and i think that it's something where you never know when it might happen right in terms of it's also like never feel like you have to close the door on it completely oh i'm sure in the back of my head i'll always have some kind of like it's like ah maybe like, yeah, like something sure. something will hit and it'll like let me back door into stand up or whatever but like who knows <laughs> like like i was i was listening to your um talk with jl mm-hmm. uh and i just want to give jl a hug man because yeah. i feel so bad he's the I, I was i was talking uh with my wife about it earlier um and i think he's the most real stand up comic yeah. in terms of just like so honest. he doesn't he does. He's so honest, and he doesn't pull any punches. And he should be bigger than he is. Mm-hmm. But like, he's 
he's uh i just want to give him a hug because i feel so bad that he's so down on like you know and i mean he makes good points in terms of like comedy has changed oh it made me cringe when he's like just figure out like tiktok it's like, <laughs> it no, is the truth man. though like yeah i know i know i know it, it is but like that's, that's and i mean people, like, a lot of people won't even take a look at you or like management whatever if you don't already have uh a following i saw I someone think, I th- oh sorry go ahead oh, oh uh i think that that's like it, that's like such the unfortunate circumstances of so many parts of media and entertainment is that like you become famous by being famous in something else mm-hmm. like the and i'm sure you've seen this so many times is just when like um comedy clubs will have like uh whoa the uh the number three followed person on instagram is gonna talk about their stories on like what crazy summer yeah like or something like or something like that like people who do not do stand-up comedy it really is a drink in chicken fingers business that's that's yeah. what comedy clubs are <laughs> so it's, it doesn't have to be stand-up comedy on stage as long as they're they're moving the product yeah, exactly. And then, but then there are some cases, I think, of people who, um, I know like, uh, Stavros is a big, mm-hmm. you know, person to, uh, point, point to in terms of like, he's, he's done a pretty good job. I mean, there's, he had come town, yeah, but like, there's a lot of legit comedians that have built like much bigger followings than they would have otherwise. I think of like Nimesh Patel, mm-hmm. he's built like a huge following, like another yeah. DC guy, Michael Blaustein, he has like a huge online following and tours now off of mm-hmm. that. So like, it is, it is. Like anything, there's like pros and cons, two sides to the sword. You know, there it does kind of yeah. decentralize and remove those gatekeepers, but like at the same time, it also um, feels like you have a little bit less control, or like the gatekeeper is just like a piece of code somewhere in Silicon Valley that you have to like try and figure out. That's so sad. I know, I know. <laughs> but there, there's always you that put it hope. so perfectly. But like, yeah, that's so it. Like, you just don't. You, you you hit a certain criteria at a certain time of day at a certain thing you said that was picked up by an algorithm. You wanna you wanna hear a funny story? Actually, this is like this refers back you know Jake Young, you yes. mentioned him earlier. He um Jake uh Jake has his podcast Wizard and the Bruiser, and that's like his job now. Oh great. Uh, he's part of like the last um Podca- the last podcast. The yeah, the last network on the left or okay. whatever. And he like does that for a living. And it's it's not like um it's not like he's he's a millionaire or anything, but he, he does he makes enough to be able to do it at a living. But the thing that Jake became most viral for is that he did a stupid, goofy skit that's ten seconds long at like a video game convention where he made a joke about Fallout. And to this day, if like I'm scrolling through TikTok or something, sometimes I'll just see it pop up again. Oh, like someone will, like been... like an aggregator account will like repost it. Yeah, and there's like millions of people have seen this thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember he just like at one point Jake Jake is amazing because he's able to take some of like the most dour, dire circumstances yeah. and make them very funny where he's just like, Yeah. All that work I put in for like 15 years as a stand-up comic will never be able to even come close to that stupid 10-second thing where I was like, put an X on the map that's, to find the next challenge. That's something I've heard from so many people who have had like really viral clips where it's like the, whatever the one clip was that blew up, it's like they didn't – like it was not even a second thought. They didn't put a lot of effort into it. It was just like some dumb thing they did and it just happened to yeah. like – it just happened to go. And it and that that's just how it goes, man. And and like that's that's maybe a, I, I I always thought I can't remember the name of the 
when I would get really ticked off that I like wasn't making it in my 20s or whatever, I think we all kind of got where stand-up comics are catty bitches. It's, it's all... high school. It's high school, and, and everyone's a theater <laughs> dork. All, that's that's we're all, all it is. yeah, yeah, and we're all vying for attention. I mean, that's the name of the game. But like, I would always think about. I read a bunch of like when I was doing it. Like, I was obviously inspired a lot by um, growing up. I was inspired by Chris Farley. I was inspired by the kids in the hall. Monty Python, um, a bunch of those things. And I would like eat, I would eat a bunch of comedians biographies and everything. And I don't know, do you know the story of like how Steve Martin made it? Uh, I've read born standing up, but I don't remember the specific thing that pushed him over the edge. It's effectively like he, he had been performing at a bar with like his ukulele for like three months and a talent agent a talent agent came in and was just like i like the cut of your jib son how about a lifelong contract yeah the old school showbiz showbiz model it's like f me dude where was that like (laughs) like come on all you have to do like he got like for the rest of his life was taken care of and it's like you do not you do not see that like anymore no you, you gotta you gotta like the cut of your own jib i think and yeah. then like try and give yourself a contract wait so when was the point though so you you had the yeah. the, the job with comic book and then when, when does the point you you leave stand up behind like when did you de- decide oh boy to stop doing this that? is a this is a great story right. um so there was a specific so i think that like for a time i was kind of moving further from it like you know in terms of like you 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 have more priorities, you know, getting, getting married, yep. buying a house. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club, buddy. Uh, it's, um, you know, uh, taking care of like adult responsibilities and shit, like growing up, things like that. Um, but uh, I was, uh, while I was performing in Atlanta, um, I was offered my first ever, a uh, solo corporate gig. Oh shit. Um uh which I had never got I had done shows where I was a feature, I had done shows where I was with other people. Um I had done and this was uh you had mentioned earlier like was geek comedy tour like w- was it making college money? Like for this show, for my first one, it was corporate money. Hell yeah. And like and I was like, "Oh shit, like if I nail this, like this can be this can be my thing." Mm-hmm. Um, I ate shit. No, I mean, like, yeah, it ha- <laughs> I did. I did. It happens so bad, but it was like my first ever time doing this. But I, it wasn't just the fact that like, it wasn't so much just that, because that was like, that was like, you, you've seen my standup. I'm a weird guy in terms of my, my standup isn't going to work on 70 year old l- real estate developers. Right. Like, you know, like I could make some bits about, oh, you're old, kind of like thing, but then they like start zoning out or whatever. Yeah, and very diametrically to... opposed to uh, the, the geek comedy tour and how they're just like on yeah. board right away. <laughs> Pretty much. And so, like, it wasn't so much that, like, I've eaten shit. We've all eaten like plates, plates of shit throughout our careers, troughs. but troughs of it. And um, I think that, oh man, and that's that's funny. I'll get into something else, but uh, the when I was, I did the show and I just realized like, like my skills aren't honed. Like I did this and I didn't do a bunch of shows beforehand, Mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that I was going to be good at it, like to work on my material and stuff like that. And I was like, I feel like I could try again 
or I could just throw everything into writing. And so I threw everything into writing and it just, it worked out like that. Um, I remember one, I, I had this great, me and, uh, you remember Tyler Sonicson, right? Yes. Is he, uh, yeah, is he still in Nashville? Uh, he is actually in, oh shit, he's going to grill me for this if I can't remember where he is. No, he's, um, so he, he's lead, he's, uh, currently a professor. I think it's in, um, Minneapolis. Okay, awesome. Um, but he's, a uh, he's currently a professor and he doesn't do as much stand up because like there aren't a lot of stand up shows, but I remember, uh, we were, we did the, uh, an awesome tour that honestly, like he set up a lot of, and I, you know, did, uh, I, I was effectively, we were double headliners and we would do the show and I still tell people about this show, which was just the fucking worst. And you could tell me how many times you've encountered this in the past. Cause mm-hmm. I'd love to hear it. You ever, you ever do a show where like you're, you're either you're the headliner or you're going to have like, you know, you're a feature, you have 25 or 30 minutes and you get there and you see like, it is not a show for comedy. Like it is not, it's like a restaurant yeah. and they've like, and they've like, made a stage yep. out of like you know um it's not, it's not like and, a full-on ambush show but it's like it's just very out of place it's, yeah like, it's, it's and just so, like you want to what you want to be like this but you're just like this like kind of like this. yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, and so we we did this it was a hookah bar nice. um and the the uh the um the host of the show who wasn't me or tyler was just like hey everybody how many people knew there was going to be a comedy show tonight and nobody raised their hands? Yikes. All right. So it was an and ambush show on top of it. It, it, it was, yeah, it was kind of an ambush because it was effectively just like, um, it was just like, th- there's something so much worse about, uh, reacting to silence about being heckled versus you trying to get your joke over, people talking mm-hmm. and having conversations in the audience and it's just like there's really nothing you can do and it's not like I'm a musician ru- where you can just kind of play and like like the, the conversation doesn't really ruin it like like there's a whole yeah you know if they're not even one if they're not laughing that sucks but if they're not even paying attention and there's not even a chance for them to laugh it's like what what am i even up here for and it's like you're you're actively ruining their night mm-hmm. you're you're in the way <laughs> of a good time you're supposed you're to be in, the good way, time. Like, you're in the way like the way like you will be that story where they go home and it's like, wow, the food was really good, but that fucking comedian, who was that lanky asshole yeah. on the like, on the stage? Um, I had I had shows where we would. Uh, this was the geek. There's we did a geek show where the promoter was like, um, here's how it's gonna work. Each of you is going to perform in between the bands when they're tuning up Mm. and it's just like oh shit that's the worst idea ever because it's like not only everybody's here for the music and people are tuning up behind you where you're having to try to scream your jokes out so it's a it's a fun industry we've chosen yeah it sounded like it was kind of like a cumulative (laughs) effect of like and then it was just that that corporate show was like you know what i don't need to be doing this to myself anymore it, it was and it's like you know, I got a lot out of stand-up comedy, and I love it to this day. And I, there, it's funny because here in Atlanta, um, have you performed much here in Atlanta? Have I did the performed? Laughing Skull Comedy Festival like years and years ago. But yeah, oh okay, I, oh cool. I, I think I was in town for a work thing like three, four years ago, and did like a ha- half mic, half show kind of deal there. So a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, there was, we have this place called the Beltline, which is like um, just for walking and biking and all this stuff. And a couple of months ago, I was on my bike. I biked a lot. I, I run more now, but like I biked a lot when the pandemic started because fuck, I needed an excuse to get out of the house Big time. during that two years. And you could speed uh, past people so they couldn't just, cough on you. <laughs> just in my hazmat yeah. suit. But there was this cool thing where a bunch of like 20 something dudes were on the side of the belt line and they were just doing an impromptu stand up thing where they had a microphone. And I just sat there and I watched like for about an hour and um, they were like, hey, buddy, you want to try this? <laughs> and I was like, you don't know what you yeah, just like the, fucking signed up the for. The jaded cop smoking a cigarette. It's like, kid, you don't want any piece of this. <laughs> you don't know what I, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I've been. Uh, no. Um, yeah. And I got up and it was fun to just get back. And it's, uh, it was fun to get back and do it. I think that there's always going to be a part of you that feels like when you get back, because there is nothing like that feeling where you really, where you get up on stage mm-hmm. and you just really fucking kill it. It's immediate. Like, uh, and there, there's no like waiting for the book to be pub- published for the song to come yeah. out. It's, it's, it's one to one feedback, like right away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's an adrenaline kick. It's a heroin high. It's like all those kind of things rolled into one and everything. And it's tough to, it's really tough to give that up. I mean, and, uh, like, and the idea of in a perfect world, I think we'd all make it to some degree. I wish we did. It's well, certainly we, we just like, want to be I, doing shows. Like that's the other thing yeah, that's like stressing yeah. me out where it's like my calendar isn't that full. Like, like the amount of times I get to actually like do a show in front of like a good crowd that's present and excited or, or few and far between. And like when I do one, it, it like sustains me emotionally for like a month or two, but like that eventually kind of fades away. So do you feel, I mean, you'd know this a lot better than I would because I stopped before COVID happened. Um, but like, do you feel that like the coronavirus pandemic had like an effect on like people going to shows? No, I don't think it had an effect on people going to shows. It changed the, from my point of view, it changed the way comedy works specifically in New York, like the mechanisms of comedy. Like I I think, um, first of all, there was a complete generational turnover from millennials to Gen Z. Like, like I think at the end of the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic, millennials were still kind of like running the comedy scene and like the local independent shows and the open mics and doing things their way. And then after the pandemic, it was all Gen Z and like the young kids and they kind of do things different. Like I, I, there's no like free drop your name in a bucket, open mics anymore in New York city. Like there's hardly any, Really? Yeah, there used to be so many where you could do like three or four a night. If, if you, got up at the right times but now it's like dm follow me on instagram and then dm at midnight half past when the moon rises you know like it's just it's all these fucking things you have to do where like sign up on in advance on this list and like pay five dollars and like it's just that's kind of the way it seems to be done now so like even getting open mic stage time is more complicated than it used to be and all of the small independent shows are built from those open mic scenes again it's all kind of ground up so like when i because I, I only did comedy like three, four times throughout from 2020 to 2021 from like May to May or whatever. Um, and those were just like outdoor shows through New York Comedy Club. So when I kind of came back to the scene writ large, I didn't know mm-hmm. anybody. I didn't like the kind of people that were booking a lot of stuff I didn't really know. I feel like my class and the people my age had kind of graduated out to like either quitting mm-hmm. or just becoming more club paid full-time regulars. Um, so mm-hmm. – I just I feel like I didn't really have like a home base, so that's made things more difficult. Um, as far as people coming to shows, like I don't think so. Maybe someone who works in the hospitality industry or at the clubs would would know. Um, 
Certainly a lot of, I mean, Caroline's closing down is, is crazy. Um, knitting yeah, factory that hurts closing my is heart, crazy. man. Uh, but like all on a long enough timeline, every comedy show shuts down. You know what I mean? Like Cabin in New York closed, Matchless where Michael Che and Nimesh had their show closed. Now it's Knitting Factory. Then Carol, every comedy club will close eventually. You know? Do you do you kind of feel like you might be like keeping that in mind? You'll you might leave New York for like somewhere else. No, because like... this feels like home to me. And my my mm-hmm. in laws live in Jersey. My parents live upstate. Oh, okay. Um. So I think like oh, we'll, nice. and my wife has like a really good job in the city with with the New York Post mm-hmm. and like Page Six. So like I think we'll always oh, nice. if awesome. we can we'll stay close to here, whether it's New Jersey or whether it's Hudson Valley. But without, mm-hmm. you know, stand-up, there's really no reason for me to be in New York City proper um, mm-hmm. other than just to, like, kind of enjoy the the culture part of it. But if you're outside the city, it's like a 30-minute train ride away, you know? So Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. we'll kind of see, where, you know, what what happens with that. But I definitely don't want to, like, raise kids here. I don't. You, you raise kids yeah. in New York City, they, they're <laughs> cocaine addicts by the time they're 14. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> before we go i so we yeah we talked like your whole journey through stand-up and like what you're doing now and you're writing i want to talk to you about movies because yes please um i'm i always love talking about uh, talking about movies the state of hollywood the state of marvel yeah. state of all that so even all that fun shit even in the broader sense right like at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the year my wife and i went to go see megan opening weekend and we saw it at the Lincoln Center Theater, which is like 10 nice. blocks north of Hell's Kitchen, which is like a very gay-centric neighborhood in New York. So we saw Megan opening weekend with just like a theater full of gay men. And it was... By the way, uh, Megan, sorry to cut you, Megan is officially a gay icon. Yeah. And I know this because I got a press release from the studio that said as much. Yeah, she she serves, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. <laughs> but so I, it, like, seeing Megan in a theater full of gay... It was just one of the most entertaining movie-going experiences of my entire life. And then I walked... I bet. I walked out I of bet. the theater. I was like, fuck it, man. Movies are back. Cinema's alive. <laughs> and then now I'm at a place where it's like, it's gone from we're so back to like, it's so fucking over. I feel like... Yep. Um, yep nothing good or original is coming out i think that yeah. the movies that are coming out now are not fun or entertaining i think they look like shit um yeah. i watched mm-hmm. john i so i went here's what's also kind of soured me on movies too and it's a personal thing i went to go see john wick in theaters on like a monday night after it opened and i saw like three yeah. mice in the theater in the first 10 minutes so i just got up Jesus. and left. <laughs> and they were full on and it might have been the same mouse three times but like you know it, 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 they weren't rats but still i, I was he's like what's what's a what's john gonna do exactly next? so it was like, like dark and, and i was like fuck it i gotta get out of here i haven't been back to a movie theater since and then when i watched john wick when it came out on vod that final scene at sacra care at sunrise looks like shit because it's all cgi yeah. and like yeah. i feel like yeah. there's no um there's just no again pretentious as hell but like no attention to the craft of movie making with like practical lighting effect even though the idol like a lot of people hated that show and i kind of mm-hmm. I, I thought it was fun i kind of liked it at least it like looked cool because it was shot on film with natural lighting and i feel like that is just like the the, the craft and the care and the creativity and the orig- original ideas have completely disappeared and i think the the business is starting to see the the effects of that because the the box office returns are not good for these big budgets your your response yeah (laughs) i mean first off nail on the head um i think that one of the things that for the longest time um hollywood has been able to rely on the idea that all we have to do all you have to do is if you have a franchise that was popular at the beginning just churn them out without thinking about it without like putting in the work like i cannot believe that that new indiana jones movie had a 300 million dollar budget That's so like, much money what? 
That's so much money. How on earth could they have ever thought that? Like, not to say like that it, it's I I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. But like, not I don't know if it's a bad movie or not. But that's so such an insane. It's not amount a three hundred dollar good movie. That's and it's, for sure. And it's not yeah. because like the whole because and especially because like the very concept of Indiana Jones is like practical effects and locations mm-hmm. and set pieces. And it's a throwback to like the swashbuckling adventures. Yeah, of the, 30, the one it, that George Lucas grew up with. Exactly. And, um, and so you're seeing, you're seeing a lot of these, uh, movies tank, except for Transformers Rise of the Beast. Thanks, Paramount. Did it no, make... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did it do right? It, no, I, it at least made its money. All right. That's as all far I as I know. I like but, Stephen um, Capel because Creed 2 was amazing. So I'll, I'll yeah, I'm no, yeah, he's, yeah. He's done well. Anyway, continue. Um, but, um, uh, I think that what people, what studios are missing a lot is the idea of like, if you look at what the biggest movie of the summer was, it was easily Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Spider-Verse? I have not, but one? I heard it's like it is a good movie at its core. It's it, it's it's godlike. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's like nothing you've ever seen before on a screen. And it's like it's the antithesis of what's wrong. Like, you know what's actually the two biggest movies that are tracking right now is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which is the story of the creation mm-hmm. of the atomic bomb. And Barbie, yeah, because Barbie is effectively like it's tracking really well. It has really good reviews. Yes, it's based on a franchise or whatever, but they're doing something really original with the property. It has a really good cast, and it seems like they actually had fun and did a creative thing with it. Also, those two feeding off of each other, I think, are helping them being the same opening weekend and everything. Yeah, they open the same. There's a lot of merchandise that's called Barbie. I've I've seen the spam bots on Twitter. It's with the shirts. It's just it's awful. It's amazing. But there's also the like you said with your story of seeing the mice and everything. There is also the problem with if if theaters eventually go away, like for me, I will be it will rip my heart out because yeah. I love going to the movies, man. I always will. Um, but uh, there's a there's this new benefit now that um, all you have to do is wait for a month and it'll be on streaming, mm-hmm. like and in your house in the comfort of your own house. For less money. Yeah. I mean, that's the really crazy thing is that I do not get how all of these, like for me, my job, I see movies for free, basically. Like I get screenings and stuff like that. And they want like comment, they want comments, studios offer. That's how like rating for these big outlets works. A studio will offer to send you to uh, see a movie and then they get a quote from you. And that's like, that justifies the cost. But like, I cannot imagine going to, like, go to a... Like, I looked... Like, if I want to go see an IMAX movie in Atlanta, it's $35. I spent about that much for my Oppenheimer ticket. That's insane, dude. Like, how do movie... How do theaters, like... I can't... Because you can buy Oppenheimer. Like, I I would... That would be a movie that I would pay to go see. But, uh, like, you can buy Oppenheimer two or three months after that for half the price and watch it where mice will hopefully not be running through your house and everything. And so I think that especially like, and you even see this with like the MCU and you see it with like the flash, which is like, who oh boy, flash is going to, I can't believe be they, they the... trotted out all those digital corpses. I think that's, that's Ooh, God. Ooh, when terrible. I heard what I, when I heard about that initially, I was just like, that can't be real. And then it was. And then I got super sad. No shame. Um, <laughs> it, was a, it was a shame. But 
Hollywood is going to have to think of like how to reimagine itself mm-hmm. um, in the in the near future, and I think that's going to have like a ripple effect on like what is what is the entertainment that people are going to be willing to pay to see when everybody's home theater home video setup is as good as a theater and with, with the, if the, the apple vision stuff really takes off where you can like just darken your room and project something on the entire wall like like you're basically have an imax theater in your house if you yeah if you have the exactly right, the right dimensions i i think that there will always be atlanta's atlanta's effing great about this because we have two theaters that are within walking distance of my house that are it's the plaza theater and the terra theater and they're more independent um, they do stuff like Rocky Horror Picture Show midnight screenings and like stuff like that, where it's like they make going to the movies a big event. And like, I think that even if you see movie theaters die, I think you'll still see places like that. Like revival so I get some comfort. Almost. Yeah, yeah. So I get some comfort from that. But like, also like, damn, it's sad. It's the a generational just... thing, too, just because like younger mm-hmm. kids and I, I try not to be the you know, old man yells at cloud kind of thing. But we're there. We're there, man. I know. We're... But it's like they they. <laughs> Because we grew up loving movies because there was nothing yeah. else to do. It's like you have TV with cable and like, yeah, like that that only goes so far. Or it's go to the movies on, you know, and, and see something like that's eight times the size you are. But like yeah. kids today, you know, they, they just have so many <laughs> different options from like social media to YouTube and like things where they can be the creator and participate. It, like that might stimulate their imagination more than just going to a movie theater. So I don't, I don't know if it's like a, it's the fact that like movie studios seem to be completely out of ideas and they don't infuse mm-hmm. them with any kind of like humanity or pathos like that. Cause what makes like what made star Wars and Indiana Jones and all those movies, they were like archetypal stories that really like, like yep. wrong your tuning fork in your chest, you know? And what they're mm-hmm. doing now with movies, I feel like is they just take like, like Fortnite, they take the Fortnite skins and paste it over <laughs> something shitty that doesn't have that same kind of, you know, like structure or like uh, foundation to it. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's, what's really, so if, if, not, so it's not just that part, but it's just like kids are just drawn to other things now besides going to a movie theater. I mean, if if you have everything in your phone, mm-hmm. like everything's in your phone, and how do you how do you compete with everything for free all of the time, as Bo Burnham put it? Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just like they got to figure out a way to do it, or they're gonna be um, just like. They're, they're gonna have a rough patch and that'll take my job away hey no no you can start writing about uh the next great tiktok uh star yeah. that'll it's like here at comicbook.com no, we're writing about tiktok we're, we're just it's all about tiktok baby and we're selling oh, man, microwaves yeah. on top of it uh evan thanks so much for, for hopping on and chatting with us about yeah, all thanks, this stuff man. uh where can people find you to give us all your handles websites all that yeah stuff. uh so you can um you can read all my stuff on comicbook.com um you can also i i also like i do videos for them i like record videos i write scripts and stuff like that um you can find me on twitter at ev comedy and you can find me on threads that's right dude for... i've had to start putting people's threads links in uh in the episodes now <laughs> that's that's a new little thing for me because twitter is a burning trash fire oh, yeah. um yeah you can find me on threads it's actually a sasquatch 64 which was just my instagram handle uh i'll see if i can change it at some point to get ev comedy again but let like you. Yeah, yeah, but what? But whatever, we'll see. And that, I, I think I just got a blue sky invite today, so follow me there at EV Comedy when I set up all that crap. Oh my God, 
Let's all just pick one that's not Twitter. I know, man. This is it's what ha- uh, what's the Oppenheimer quote where it's like I've become death destroyer of worlds. Destroyer like, of I've worlds. become death proliferator of apps. Like that's all it is right now. <laughs> all right, Evan. Thanks so much for hopping on. And uh, thanks, man. Oh, thanks for like and me. subscribe. Everyone, smash the button. Comment, yeah, subscribe, please. like, share. T- sound all off. That in the I, I, I do the same, that I do the like same bit at the end of every episode where I act like I don't like doing this, but I have to do it. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Thanks, Evan. We'll no, please do take it. Take it easy. Thanks, man.